Welcome to the Layer of Secrets podcast, the podcast about gaming and being a geek by two 40-something geek dads. I'm Ken Newquist. I love good books, long hikes, and strong coffee, not necessarily in that order. And I'm David Moore. I'm a geek dad, sometimes home renovator, and always gamer. So, Ken, uh, it's been, well, in podcast terms, it's been probably only a week. Uh, for us, it's been a couple more than a, uh, a week, but uh, we're recording these a little ahead of time. What's been going on? with you so i have uh elevated my coffee snobbery <laughs> so over the summer we went um to a friend's cabin up on uh, lake champlain and uh, they had uh, this thing called an aero press which heard is high advanced technology for coffee right so um so before before covid in the uh the pre-covid era the, the before times as i've heard them referred to um I, we used to just have a keurig right so you know yep. you've got the, the automated thing you got the little pods you stick it in there and then like you brew coffee right and so that was quick easy no time to actually get your coffee going right um and so, supposedly coffee, horrible right? and, coffee so yeah yeah if, i mean i always you... drink dunkin donuts which some people have varying opinions about dunkin donuts coffee i happen to like dunkin donuts coffee but in yep. any case yep. um, my wife likes dunkin donuts so, coffee so you're you're in good company there so <laughs> yes <laughs> exactly so uh once we went into covid though I, I kind of started trying to find like i don't know some mindful practices where i could focus a little bit more in the morning and just kind of have some morning rituals which the sure. keurig was not really feeding into right so i started yeah. to do the french press okay and so the french press you have like you have a like a big like a glass beaker and you've got a plunger and so the plunger has a filter on it and so you put the let me see how this works you put the coffee in then you put hot water in you let it steep for four to five minutes then you take the plunger which pushes all the coffee down and then you can pour the coffee out right yep. um I always end too, up with coffee but not, grinds but not too much because you get tons of coffee grinds at the bottom of your mug right exactly you can't <laughs> pour out the last little bit or else you get coffee grinds at the bottom and regardless right. you're gonna get coffee grinds at the bottom but right. it's very relaxing and kind of satisfying to push down on the plunger oh yeah yeah I, <laughs> right like I it's a whole like well yeah it's a whole ritual right and so that it kind of was scratching that itch for me very relaxing it's about when i was starting to gear up for the summer reading list and what have you right so you know you make your coffee and you sit down sip your coffee read the book in the morning good to go and so uh when we go on vacation i was introduced to the aeropress which is a similar concept um and so what you have a cylinder and at the bottom of the cylinder it's like a it's a plastic cylinder it's high-tech like polymers right but um you have the cylinder at the bottom of the cylinder is a filter. You pour the coffee into the cylinder and then you put the cylinder on top of your coffee cup and then you pour hot water into the cylinder. And then there's a plunger that basically forms a, a perfect seal <laughs> on top of uh, the, for the cylinder. And then you press down with, uh, it's not like the nice gradual easy press of a French press, right? That's kind of like a nice slow, easy push. This is you're like you have to forcing apply the water constant through pressure. the filter paper. Yeah. Yes, yeah, so yeah, yeah. You're forcing the water through exactly, right? So there's some effort here, but you don't have to put don't put in too much effort. Because I will tell you from experience, if you do that, you end up with coffee everywhere. Because eventually <laughs> you get near the bottom and the air pocket pushes out. And so there's a whole I'm sure that there okay. are many, many blog posts about how to do this. I have not read any of them yet. Yep. So but the end result, it's actually quicker than a French press. It's faster to clean than a French press. Oh, wow. Um, you don't get coffee grinds in your coffee like a French press. Nice. And it's uh, it makes for a very rich, 
a cup of coffee. I'd huh. say it's a very strong cup of coffee, and I like happen to like strong coffee. Mm-hmm. I mean, you can always dilute it down. It's a function of how much coffee you actually put into the uh, into the AeroPress. But it is it was eye opening. Like the first time I had, it, I'm like, wow, this is this is really good. We need to get one of these. Huh. And so I wholeheartedly recommend it. And I had had friends like on Facebook and what have you who were talking about the AeroPress. I'm like. Pfft. And they, and they would talk about it in glowing terms, and now I understand why. But at the time, I'm like, no, I'm fine with my French press. You, you elitist AeroPress person. No, 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 I'm, I'm fine. I'm with the people with my French press. Right, right. <laughs> um, but no, now I'm, now I'm elevated. Um, <laughs> I'm doing the AeroPress, and actually, as a like a for backpacking and for camping, um, I think that the the AeroPress is actually a great sort of option. It's light. It would be easy to pack coffee. It's easy to clean up. Um, and so, and it makes a really good cup of coffee, which is hard to do when you're out camping. Like right now yeah. when we go camping, uh, with the scouts, we've got like a propane stove and we have like a Coleman coffee brewer <laughs> where you boil the water and it's a drip it's coffee a, maker. It's it's a per- coffee. Is it a percolator? It is with a percolator the little, with the little glass bubble thing on top or whatever. Well, no, it's not. No, it's not quite that. It's it's, so I guess what's happening is. You boil the water inside of the container, and then it condenses down through the filter. So it's okay. not quite like yeah. with a percolating coffee. You've got you have, it like you have that the it's, tube that goes down to the bottom, down. right? Yeah, with I've done that too. Okay, that's really hard. Yeah, <laughs> I find from a technical complexity standpoint, percolating coffee just it, I find it slightly mystifying. Like the first time How we went works. camping with our friend. <laughs> And our friend had brought this uh, percolating coffee pot, and we actually had to call her mom because we couldn't figure out how to get it to work. <laughs> right? Like we're a bunch of thirty-somethings camping with our like three-year-olds, and we cannot figure out. Like we're mature, nice. responsible adults, and we cannot figure out how to make coffee. And it was the only way to make coffee, right? Like we right. had no other coffee-making devices, right? Right. Uh, so I wholeheartedly recommend it. And then the other thing we did is I got an electric kettle, which really oh, seems like cheating. It does, <laughs> but it's so much faster. Like. So I am I am really interested in the coffee culture and the technology and stuff but I drink crappy coffee. You know, we have <laughs> we have a Keurig like machine which is uh it's we had a Keurig it broke uh after many years. Um so we got a replacement one and a, we realized that we also sometimes will still want a carafe of coffee, so we got one that takes the takes the the cups or the reusable filter single use refilter uh, that you can put loose coffee into. But it will also, right. if you hit a button, make a full carafe of coffee. And we were, we like, but the, but that still doesn't make great coffee. And I had a French, I used to have a French press, you know, the problem with the French press is uh, sometimes they break, but they're yes. also not very expensive. <laughs> so I had it, but, you know, cleaning that bottom filter when the grounds are kind of stuck in it is annoying. Um, so I guess what I'm saying is I'm a lazy coffee person and I probably haven't, I've, I've had good coffee grounds and it was, and it was a better cup of coffee but it was still made like I tried a pour over didn't quite work. You know, I, so what I think I need to do is find like you or one of my other friends who are really into coffee and have them make me a cup of coffee 
to really convert me so that I understand, because I just don't understand. Um. <laughs> no, I hear you. And I also benefit, my daughter is actually, uh, she was a barista at our local coffee shop in the before times. So she knows how to do pour over. She knows how to do cold brews. Like she is now well versed. When she goes to college, she is ready to be a barista. Nice. So uh, she I, she has been my person for that. I've definitely gotten better uh, learning from my daughter. Our, um, but the electric um, kettle is is fantastic. Yeah, our friend Chris roasts his own beans. Oh, um, see, that's that's and, just kicking in. He's like level forty, man. Well, yeah, I feel like I just hit level twenty. He, <laughs> he's gonna be like level forty five or fifty pretty soon because he's actually thinking about getting to the level of roasting where he's going to sell to people. Um, oh, wow. So that'll, that'll be interesting. I feel like I felt like if I were to get some of those beans that they would be wasted on me uh, because right. I'd just be like, Oh yeah, I'll just scoop two tablespoons into this reusable filter and pop that into the Keurig like machine and, uh, and use that water you know, straight out of the tap or whatever, you know, it's like, like everything that, that, that the coffee snobbery, as you were, you were mentioning, <laughs> uh, what, you know, everything that coffee aficionados, I was like, don't do this. Like I do every one of those things, you know? So I'm interested in the AeroPress, but I can't justify it to myself because I, I, I don't know that it would be any better than what I drink. I'm sure it would, but I'd like somebody else to prove that to me. <laughs> I hear you. I hear you. So the other, the other benefit to just like close out the electric kettle, I think um, I was a hard convert to this because you just boil water and it whistles. How, how will you know that it's done if it doesn't whistle? Right. And so my wife uh, went out and she got the electric kettle. And so I think what, what ultimately converted me was in the COVID times. Now that in these dark times that we live in. Yeah a lot of uh, conference calls. And so I'm brewing my coffee in the morning. Well, if the coffee pot starts going, if the, sorry, if the, if the, the uh, tea kettle starts going and it's boiling water, it. well, now I have to like run inside and like, yep. you know, if to yep. mute, if I don't remember to mute, then now everybody hears my kettle screaming in their ears, which That's uh, not is fun. not a good thing. No. Whereas the, the electric kettle just does its thing. You tell it what temperature you would like to heat your water to. And then, oh, wow. you know, if yeah, the, you, the, have the, you have a fancy one. So we, yes. I mean, I thought we were fancy cause it glows with blue LEDs <laughs> on ours cause it's an all glass and then it just glows with blue. Uh, but ours is you hit a button, you fill it up. Uh, it's like 1.7 liters is the max. And then you hit a button and then it boils the water and auto shuts off. And that's, that's our electric kettle. But I still think that's cheating as well. <laughs> all Brown is the one that, that converted me to electric kettles cause it just, it's like, wow, there's a lot of uses for that, you know? Like, I actually used, yes. it, used it last week for spaghetti. Rather than, uh, you know, I, I, I still put a pot on the stove, and I put the angel hair pasta in there, but I boiled the water in the kettle, and, you know, and I turned on the burner and poured the water into the, into the pot while it was still boiling, because one of the things that, that I've, like, and maybe this is something I've confused in my head, but I thought years ago, Alton Brown was talking about how if you add it to, now I'm thinking I got it completely backward, but the idea <laughs> of adding, you're, you're just basically rehydrating the noodles. So I was just 
basically trying to shortcut all of that stuff. And uh, just having the water already boiling when you pour it over the noodles, rather than wait for it to boil and then put the noodles in, or put the noodles in and then bring the water to boil to a boil. I just, I don't know. Um, but I'm, I'm sure there's a bunch of blog things. posts about that as well. Yeah, I'm sure I'm doing all that wrong too. <laughs> <laughs> but I still ate. If anyone so has advice on success. how to boil noodles, yeah, yep. let us know. Yep. I am at least not. When I went to college. I was given a recipe book for college stuff for for how to make different foods in college, but it also uh, it was a family friend of ours made it for me, and she had also taken like little news articles and other things like that about funny things about making uh, food dishes, and one of them was uh, an anecdote about a woman who was in college who called her mom up and said, "Mom." How long do you boil spaghetti before the noodles turn red? <laughs> so I'm ahead of that. I'm ahead of that game. That's fantastic. Yeah, that's fantastic. Yeah. So uh, in other news, I got my. We talked about it a show or two ago. Um, I ordered my Osprey Stratos pack. Very cool. Which came. I'm showing it to David right now. I got to use it on a five mile hike uh, this past weekend. And it was great. It was very comfortable. And uh, it's adjustable so that my son can wear it or I can wear it. I'm like a foot and a half, two feet taller than he is right now. I'm sure he's going to catch up with me at some point. But uh, <laughs> it was great. It was very comfortable. I don't know that it would actually be a great con bag uh, <laughs> if I'm playing a lot of Dungeons and Dragons with or anything with like a big, thick rule book. Okay. If I'm playing like more like indie games or games with smaller rule books like Savage Worlds, this pack might work well for that. Or, you know, maybe I should just stop carrying around so many books. <laughs> depends on how right, many crazy idea. It depends on how many books you carry too. Are you, so are you saying like it wouldn't fit like the player's handbook in that backpack? It would, like, it would fit the player's handbook. But when I go to cons, I get into the back, like if I'm DMing, right? Like, and there's a, D, okay. there's a difference as to whether there's a difference. I'm gaming, <laughs> mastering or, or, or being a player. Right. Right. But either way, in the past, I have made poor decisions, as we've talked about previously, about yes. bringing way yes. too many books. So I would not be able to cram like five Dungeons and Dragons standard-sized rule books into this bag. Oh, God, you're um, making my shoulders hurt. Like two or three. <laughs> <laughs> you're making my shoulders hurt. Five D D books. Two might actually push it. Wow. Yeah, well, you know, like I say, bad choices. Before. And yeah, um, I should show you the bag, uh, you know, after this, I'll, I'll show you the bag that I have for for work when I travel. It's a, it's a nice bag. It would probably fit. It would fit five D and D books. Still a backpack, but it's a little more professional than, uh, right. than a, like a, uh, a hiking backpack. So, gotcha. um, but it might, might interest you. So I'll, I'll, I'll bring that out, but. Oh no, definitely. I think, um, you know, one of the a future show topic might be you know run prepping for running tricks of the trade for doing a con game because I think we probably both have some experience with that and I'm always yep. on a on a on a quest to optimize my game mastery at a con. Um, but the uh, the last thing I wanted to mention real quick uh, I haven't played it that much but I did want to note progress that uh, I got Gloomhaven Jaws of the Lion which is the new like 
uh, intro level version of Gloomhaven. Still has a lot of fiddly bits, still ha- comes with a ton of stuff, but it's very approachable. My son and I sat down and it took us maybe a half an hour to sort all of the different things. They, they actually come with little Ziploc bags and they tell nice. you, like in the instructions, it tells you how you should sort the pieces and into what bags. Wow, um, that's pretty right? nice. So yeah, so like these pieces should go with these pieces. I mean, they don't label the bags, but like the idea being like you have these cards, they should go here. You have these tokens, they should go here. You have this like monster reference sheet, stick it with the, this particular bag, right? Got it. And the the instruction manual is cool. Like I knew this going in was they had there's several books. The scenario book, basically the first couple of scenarios, it's it's a fold open book where the map is the play surface. And so mm-hmm. that map also has like the tutorial included in it. So it's, so it's between like a spread of the book. Yes. Cool. So you don't have to come up with tiles. Like that's one of the things with regular Gloomhaven. There's a gazillion <laughs> tiles you yep. have to lay out and build the map. That's why it takes an hour and a half to set up, right? Yep. But with this version, it's like the first scenario, just open the book. It shows you where everything goes, depending on the number of players you have. You pull open the scenario book and it kind of walks you between the two of those things. It walks you through how to play the game. And we had a lot of fun with it. I mean, it was pretty simple, but um, like it wasn't a very advanced scenario. But, you know, it did what it was supposed to do, which is teach us how to play. So cool. uh, I think hopefully as we like get into the fall and, you know, we might have some rainy Saturdays where we don't get to do anything else. We'll break out Gloomhaven. That's cool. That's cool. So what have you been up to? Uh, well, uh, I don't know. The last few weeks have been a bit of a blur, but uh, what's helped me a bit is uh, I started bullet journaling. Basically, entirely your fault. Uh, oh, really? So um, it's I will a good happily thing. accept that blame. Yeah, you know, it is actually a really good thing. I used to use uh this i'm trying to remember what the name of it is but it's like i mean the company's the gold gold fiber notebook but there's like a certain style of note writing where it has uh let me find a blank page oh that's completely full i used to do just a daily to-do list and uh both of those notebooks are full which is part of the reason i switched over to bullet journaling because i was I was like, I just finished my last notebook. I need a new one. Let's try bullet journaling. But the idea was, is like, I would, I would date a page. I'd write a bunch of, of to-do items with circles next to them. And I'd check off the circles when they were done. And I'd migrate them over day to day. So a lot of the habits that I was in for my to-do list are the same habits for bullet journaling. But there's more to bullet journaling than my simple to-do lists. Having a, this is my goals for the month and not transferring those goals over day to day and having that basically be like a wait. It's like, oh, I didn't finish that goal, which is a monthly goal in a day um, has been nice. The idea of take a, you know, when you're migrating things over day to day, take stock of, does this matter anymore? You know? Right. (laughs) Do I, do I care? Like, like I will get ideas of or see something and it's like, oh yeah, Dragon's Lair. That's a cool sword on Dragon's Lair. It's very iconic. I should just make that. And so I wrote that down on my bullet journal. The next day I'm like, I'm not gonna do that. And then I just and rather than just keep going with it, I just crossed it off. It's like, yeah, I'm just gonna make that decision right now. And yeah, it it's the way that the index is done. 
and making collections. Uh, so like I've got, uh, I've got a section for layer of secrets ideas, um, that I have yet to put into our, our document. Um, you know, the, the, the coding project that I'm working on, uh, the, I've got a reading list of what I'm going to be reading. Uh, and, uh, and it just reminded me that I need to, that I was going to talk about that, but I didn't put it on my list here in the document, but, uh, it's, I really like it. It's it's been very useful, and I'm not even a month into it yet. So I know that when I start going month to month, that there will probably be more epiphanies that will happen. I so the 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 book I have right now is called a Paperage, is the company. It's an A5 format, but I also got uh, just today I got the a lectern, uh, which I understand a lot of people have. It's about twice as thick or so um number of page wise i got it to do the uh, a gaming bullet journal it, i think in the future uh we should like talk about that like do you still bullet journal for your game i do i do okay yeah so i've been i've been doing bullet journaling for god i don't know now i filled a couple of them a year and a half nice, nice. <laughs> maybe, maybe going on two years i don't know and i guess the, the thing i like about it for those who aren't familiar with bullet journaling like the idea here is it, it's a, it can be a couple different things and i guess the, what i things i really liked about it it is modular so you can go to i think it's bulletjournaling.com we can add it to the show notes um, yep. where they give you some like different examples how you do it and i guess that that probably appeals to us both given our development background like oh, I'm just going to take the, like, it's almost like you're taking this library and using it for this particular use case, right? Like, oh, here's a pattern. I'm going to just take that pattern and reuse it, right? Mm -hmm. And so there's no right way or wrong way to do it. But the idea is that you're not, like, writing a longhand journal, long-form journal about all your different ideas. It's a mix mosh of things. So it can be, I typically use mine quite a lot for, like, what the heck is it I'm doing this week? So each day I write down with a little circle like this is meetings and then dots for the things I need to get done that day. And then occasionally I'll use dashes to indicate like a thing that happened. I started a new book, I finished a book. And so I found that very useful in being able to kind of focus on the week. So it's very relaxing on a Sunday to sit down and kind of I'll lay out my whole week. And even though I'm mm -hmm. manually recopying it out of my, my physical work calendar, the I, I learn best by writing. And so yep. for me, act of copying it down and really thinking about it goes like i'll have these moments where it's like holy crap we have band camp <laughs> scouts like three meetings like sue and i are already double booked for our own meetings and like the dog has to go to the vet and it's all happening on wednesday yeah how, like, how are you gonna wait, fit it all okay in? hold yeah, on hold on we're Let's not gonna do these things <laughs> yeah I, I i i find the same thing is you know, writing it out longhand, even if it's like a brief. One of the things that the the creator bullet journaling says is like, don't write like a novel about a single uh, single topic. Like so, like like one of my entries would be uh, layer of secrets editing. You know, that's that's enough for me to understand. Hey, I wanted to edit one of the episodes. You know, or. Uh, call for treadmill replacement. It's like, oops, yep, I still haven't done that one. <laughs> uh, my treadmill's broken. The console on the treadmill's broken. I need to order a part for it. I keep putting it off, evidently. But, you know, doing that as opposed to, like, throwing a reminder that constantly pops up on my phone or something that I always dismiss, uh, 
like there's a I have to be mindful about keeping it every day and and yet when I write it down it gets it off of my shoulders rather right. than a reminder just reminds me of everything I'm not doing. Right. Um, and so it it inverts that which I really I've really enjoyed about the bullet journaling. That's uh, that's what I enjoyed about the to-do list, but as I said, this is a, a more complex and nuanced version of my to-do list that I I just I really enjoy it more so far. And I'm only what uh a week in actually cuz I started it on on the no, a little more than a week. I started it on the 9th of August. Now you got now everybody knows about when we record this. So <laughs> the uh the other thing that that I found really helpful are first of all, I have days where like the entire page is full and I've started to have to write like hor- I, I write down vertically in a list and now I've run out of space and now I'm starting to write horizontally because I've run out of space. Yep. It's possible yeah. that I may have had too much to do on that day and Impossibly. I should have managed my time a little better. Yeah. <laughs> I also like the act of, of physically copying a thing forward makes you think about it. Cause I was talking with one of my friends about bullet journaling and, and he was, he's more of an efficiency kind of guy, which definitely is not, um, there's no wrong way to manage your stuff, right? Like if it works for you, cool. Right. Um, but he's like, well, this all seems really high, highly inefficient. I don't know that I don't know that I would be comfortable with this. Like, aren't you wasting time? Like, isn't this a highly inefficient process? And it's like, yeah, that's that's kind of one of the attractions for me because it makes me think. If you have to physically copy the same task over five days in a row, yep. <laughs> It can't help but make you think. Maybe I should do this, or like you said, admit maybe to myself, it's not, that I'm not worth gonna... doing. Yeah, right. Yeah, I, and and yeah, I, that's it's one of those things. Like in coding, one of the things that a lot of developers will do, uh, depending upon, and even senior developers or or architects or whatever, like uh, the higher up you go, the less it happens that that you find out. But like. A lot of people, and I still have it happen to me today, today in these days, which is, oh, I know what this is. Let me just start coding. Um, right. <laughs> without any thought or design or plan into it. And it always goes better if you sit down for a little while and plan it. And that's what the bullet journal does for my day. You know, right. rather than just go through the day you know it if i if i you know i i wake up i do some stuff i attend my way too early meeting with my client and then right after that meeting i sit down and do the bullet journal stuff um and i've found that if i adhere to that my day goes pretty smooth if for some reason i put the bullet journal stuff off i am going in 15 different directions thinking I'm making progress on things. And then when I finally get to the bullet journal, I, I, I realize, no, I've done a few of these things, but I haven't completed some of them, even though I should, you know, they would be easily completed, but I keep getting distracted with other things, et cetera. So it, it helps me focus on some of those things too. You, you mentioned, you actually mentioned something that I'm going to start doing, which is when I start a book and when I end a book right now, I just have a reading list but I didn't actually note the dates that I started and ended, which uh, I think would be interesting to me as I go back through the year, you know, uh, of like, when did I read that book, you know, sort of deal. Yes. 
So I think you mentioned I, I do I do I have been using bullet journaling for one of my campaigns. So my my lunchtime game, the Scales of Truth campaign, I I decided I was going to try doing a bullet journal. And um and because it lends itself to it, it's a sandbox campaign. So there's a lot of kind of stuff that just happens. So you know, I need to keep track of those things. And so I'm experimenting with coming up with different collections. Like this is my NPC collection. Um, here's my, instead of a, a daily log, I have a, like a weekly layout, weekly spread, which is, this is the game session. This is what happened in the game session. Here's what um, story it was part of. Right. And then, because uh, I've probably done adventure prep and when you only play one hour a day, once a week, uh, story arcs tend to take a while to play out. So remembering yeah. where I am is important. Uh, but also then noting, oh, I introduced this NPC. I need to come back to this, mm -hmm. right? Or damn, I should have like had these tokens ready to go. I didn't, I should make those tokens, right? So jotting down those kinds of notes in like the session notes and like, it just helps me stay organized, I think. Cool. That's the hope. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, and, it, and it's still like, one of the, like I used to do that for my older games would be you know we'd have all the prep but we would also you know long before YouTube and such like that we would actually record on audio tape or I had the brilliant idea because the audio tapes were only like at max 45 minutes per side we were like wait a minute I could borrow my parents camcorder put it on long play and record for six solid hours. Perfect. And, but we would do that. And we, you know, we, the, you know, we'd re-listen to it and, and do other stuff like that back when we had uh, oodles and oodles of time to game. That you sounds know. like pre-kids. Yeah. <laughs> and definitely, definitely pre-kids. Uh, Pre-marriage actually even. Um, although it was with Aaron but just before we were married. <laughs> um, but it was, it, yeah, uh, doing a bullet journal is, reminds me of that because of how intentional and mindful and, and keeping track of not only what you want to do, but what has happened before. So, and that's the reason why I want to do it as well, is just a, both as a planning thing, but also a keeping track of what actually has happened. Because um, I love springing stuff of like, Oh, you remember when you went to this town and, uh, you know, you, you, uh, you, you like messed with this merchant, uh, cause you, you didn't get along with them and stuff like that. Well, well that merchant's back, you know, or that, you know, different, different things like that of, um, trying to make the world a richer place and where, exactly. where role-playing and consequences matter sort of stuff. But uh, there is, uh, just to close this, the topic out, because we, we have talked about it for a while, um, and I'm sure we'll talk about it again uh, in the future once, we, once I start doing the, the gaming bullet journal. Maybe we even talk about that as a main topic in the future. There's the, the paper wrap, the marketing copy, basically, for the bullet, for the, the Lecterm 1917 bullet journal book. I was just looking at it because it's got stuff on the inside and the outside of, of the little wrap. And I was like, okay, well, what do they say? Um, I started reading one of the pieces and I'm like, wow, this is like the Mentats of Dune, you know, uh, by the juice of Safu. Do I set my, 
thoughts in motion sort of right, thing. Right. It's uh, writing by hand as thinking on paper. Thoughts grow into words, sentences, and pictures. Memories become stories. Ideas are transformed into project. Uh, transformed into projects. Uh, notes inspire insight. We write and understand. Learn and see and think with the hand. I'm like that. That could have been. Like, I don't know if that was inspired by Dune or Dune was inspired by it, considering the company's been around since 1917, but it, it just struck me today when I got it. it. was I thought it was hilarious. No, that's very cool. I totally missed that. I think yeah. I just, I've torn them off and not looked. Yeah, I'll have to I, do that next time. I don't, I don't know when I got into that habit of, like, looking at all the, the copy, but I've realized that, that the designers who put the effort into like 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 for this stuff for the google stuff for apple um the people where you see a lot of good package design which uh, you know uh, there is good package design out there but most people just don't they're not a lot of people are always aware of it is what i'm trying to say right um and i i just i noticed it and i i think it was like the last two or three years i've just started like looking for oh how's how do they make this interesting or or whatever you know and even even the the chinese packaging of you know stuff that we get from amazon has has you know interesting wording um because english is not the native language you know that's always fun to read as well um so that that's just why i caught it it was just i don't know why i'm in that habit but i do so the other th couple of things that have happened over the last couple of weeks are I've been working in my garage, completely unable to do any woodworking. Uh, my dad and I put insulation up because uh, uh, it was a partially finished garage, but basically anywhere where there is an outer wall, they it's just studs. Um, so we put up insulation in all of those areas. Um, and we put up a little bit of the drywall before uh, we were both pretty exhausted uh, this last weekend. Um, all of that is in the hopes that I can get a couple of more months out of the garage use um, in like in the winter. Like I can heat it up more easily and it'll stay heated. My biggest problem is that the garage door is like super thin metal um, without mm. any insulation. So... Uh, I'm probably going to have to spend some money to, to insulate that or replace the garage door, uh, which is, I that scares the heck out of me. Um, <laughs> I don't know how much that would be. Uh, probably too much for what I want to do with it. Um, but at least insulating the outer walls that are easily insulated, and then I can drywall them, and that gives me more of a place to hang things as well, like tools and such. Right. Um, so that will help my shop organization. So, um, and it was great working with my dad. So we're going to do that. Hopefully finish it this weekend. Um, so we'll see how that goes. That's very cool. I have garage envy. We have, we have no garage. <laughs> we just have street parking. So oh, I'm sorry. <laughs> I, years ago, I, I, I was like, if we're going to get a house, it has to have a garage because, and the only reason is I don't like scraping snow off my windshield. That's the reason. That is my entire reason for wanting a garage. Um, but uh, having, uh, having a portion of the garage be a wood shop is, is very, very nice as well. So 
the other the uh, two other things um, I only listed one but the uh, you since I looked at the bullet journal I remembered the other one which is uh, I picked up and finished listening to because it's less than wise man's fear in terms of length is uh, <laughs> most er, things are it, yes <laughs> uh, oh where did it go had it um I believe it's a memory called Empire, which is uh, a sci-fi novel that won the Hugo Award for best novel this year. Um, and it was really, it was, it was pretty neat. Um, I don't know that I, I'm probably going to pick up the sequel. Um, it has some really cool concepts but it was hard for me to get into initially. Um, the the empire of this large portion of the galaxy is based on um, like the Aztecs or Mayans, as if they became a spacefaring race. Um, and the story, the main character of the story is an ambassador from a uh, a mining c- colony system. Basically, it's like a solar system, but it has no planets. It's just asteroids and so they have a space station and they're worried that the empire is going to absorb them and so she has been sent there after their last they the empire basically said send a new ambassador and you know they're like what happened to the old ambassador (laughs) well that's a mystery to start with and so they send this new ambassador and um her goal is to basically try and not have the empire absorb their system um their station and sorry about zeke there in the background you can probably hear him um but it it was good but it it started off with um one of those things i'm gonna wait for a minute He has opinions and he wants to share them. He does. He does. He also gets into a mode where, like, especially before we got Zoe, he'll, um, he would just bark and it just seemed like he got into a loop in his head. Um, of just <laughs> like, I'm going to bark, I'm going to pause, I'm going to bark some more, I'm going to pause, I'm going to bark some more. And, and he'd run back and forth and back and forth and back and forth in, in the backyard, uh, which is one of the reasons we got Zoe because we thought he was getting bored and, and, you know, going a little nuts. Um, <laughs> but I think he heard something outside. So, um, yeah, so memory called empire, the, the beginning of it was hard for me to get into cause I was listening to it on audible, uh, the, their narrator was really good. Um, she was actually the same narrator that did, that did Forging Hephaestus, which I think I talked about before, which is a superhero novel. Um, but the names in there were like 13 Seagrass. And, um, you know, uh, there a bunch of names that were kind of English, kind of Aztec Mayan, you know, uh, et cetera, alien kind of names, um, which, you know, when I was learning about, you know, 
years ago about like like writing a novel, throwing uh, a word salad of names that are hard to pick up on was like a no-no. And it seemed like this was intentionally breaking that mold. Um, but after a couple, the, the good thing about it was there weren't a ton of characters. And so it wasn't like, who's that person? Who's this person? Who's that person? Who's this person? You know, you were, you were introduced by that same name over and over and over again. So it became second nature. Um, but it took a good two or three chapters before I really, I almost put the book down, um, and was like, why is this a Hugo novel? Um, but once I got past that, um, it was a good novel. I, I enjoyed it. So, and I, I will, I will pick it up, but, um, that was the thing that I, that kind of disturbed me about it initially was it was hard to get into. Um, yeah, I, and I don't want to even, I, I kind of want to talk more about that, but it was such a small part at the very beginning of the novel. Um, it was just, right. I, I don't know why I'm, I'm picking on that part of the novel. Um, but the rest of it was really good. I mean, there's, there's, there's kind of a, a court intrigue sort of thing. There's assassination attempts. There's, uh, there's a coups, there's, uh, attempted coups happening, etc. It, it gets, it's a very political novel, um, in that sense as well. So it's, it, but it's in a sci-fi universe. So that was a lot of fun. Yeah, I, I think I understand that though. I mean, it's a challenge. Sometimes when you're reading audiobooks, that can be, that can be very much a challenge to like, cause you can't flip backwards and just like, oh, wait, who is this person? Right. Um, and then it's even tougher when you then read the second book in the series, but you actually read the print version. And now you've only <laughs> heard the names. You've never actually seen them. Right. So right. When I read like the last two wheel of time books. Oh like, my, wait a minute. Who is this person? <laughs> oh my, yeah. And if like you if, know the, if the, the pronunciation, like Ford, it's not a big deal. But <laughs> yeah, and if the pronunciation is different than what you had in your head, yes. that would be really hard. Yes. Yeah. Uh, the only the last thing is, uh, you know, in my ADD of of gaming, um, I found a new game uh, that looks really fun, and uh, you might be playing it with me. Uh, Hopefully, uh, I think this Friday we might actually be talking about characters and such. If I can get the rest of the players on board, but it's called Brindlewood Bay, and the concept of that is murder she wrote, or uh, I'm trying to think of um, the mystery author Agatha Christie. Agatha Christie. She has some uh, a female detective um, in there. But uh, or Friny Fisher from there's a Netflix there's a British series that's on Netflix. Um, but basically, you all play women who are in uh, like retired women who are in a book club who stumble upon mysteries and murders in your town and help the local police solve them whether you whether they want you to or not. And as Part of this, you also uncover this deeper, darker conspiracy of otherworldly proportions. And, like, it just caught my eye. And it just sounds like so much fun. Um, but one of the things that really caught me is the mechanics of solving a mystery. As the GM, you don't make... You, you, you set the stage for the mystery, but you as the GM 
don't even know who did it. And the idea is, is you go through and you play and uh, you play through some, you play through scenes and you look for clues. And as you look for clues, eventually toward the end of that, um, you know, the players say, okay, we're going to try and solve this mystery. And then they, they gather up all the clues mechanically uh, as bonuses to rolls. And when they roll and they say, oh, the, the fishmonger did it. They roll, and if they succeed, the fishmonger did do it. But if they fail, the fishmonger didn't do it, and somebody else did it. And it was it, it's a neat concept, and I want to see that play out. Um, plus, I want to see uh, a bunch of my friends run around pretending to be <laughs> Jessica Fletcher-type people and, uh, and such. So it, it, it just seems like a fun game. But talking about gaming, uh, like Bullet Journal Gaming, Brindlewood Bay, etc., that kind of leads into our main topic. How is gaming remotely different than in person? You know, we are, we've said it multiple times on this podcast, you're all probably sick of it. We are in the time of social distancing and COVID. We'd love to have all our friends over on the couch or wherever you happen to game normally. But uh, or around a kitchen table, but we can't, you know. So, like, how is how is gaming remotely differently for you? Right. It's uh, it's it's been a huge shift. So I think um, thankfully, as we discussed before, my group had already been playing half of our one of our campaigns online every other week. So we had a little bit of experience with this, mm-hmm. um, and I had used. Roll 20 as a virtual tabletop for some of my lunchtime games because it was easier than having to roll out a battle map and, and do things. But but it's a huge, it's a huge, uh, it's a huge thing, especially now, because I think one of the things I've run into with my group is it opens up opportunities for some people to play who wouldn't normally get to play. Like we have right. a friend who lives in Vegas. He can join us yep. because he can because we're playing remotely or we're playing online. Uh, I have other friends, uh, and I totally get this, and it is no way uh, slagging on them, uh, who just don't want another meeting, right? Like at the end of the day, mm-hmm. uh, after mm-hmm. having been in seven Zoom sessions, adding one <laughs> yeah, more one Zoom more. session or yeah. Roll20 session or what have you feels like just yet another meeting, and you don't want to turn your hobby into that. Right. So, Because more than likely, they'll be sitting at the same desk that they did the, the seven other meetings at, and they don't want to sit with their butt in that chair for that much longer as well. Um, right. I, yeah, I totally right. get that. And I think um, technology has also been a challenge. I think that's actually, it's gotten a little bit better during COVID because we've all had to get better at it during COVID. Mm-hmm. Uh, but technology levels are all over the place. Like somebody's got a really old laptop. They try to install Skype. It ruins their audio drivers. Like everything blows up. Yep. You know, and, yep. and suddenly they can't play anymore. Um, so that was a big challenge previously. We've, we've kind of gotten around that a little bit, but that's certainly been an issue in the past. Yeah. Yeah. I, I, I mean, discord really stepped up, you know, pretty well. Uh, you know, you used to have to do a hack to have a group video chat, uh, or a group audio chat, um, in like a, a discord group. You could do multiple people with just like direct multiple people, like, like form a little group, but not on a server. But now on a server, they had an audio-only room, and you could do a hack to make it video. Now, it's not a hack. You just do it. And they added screen sharing. 
And so that's actually how we do our, you know, our, our Sunday game. Um, and to your point, you know, you have your, your friend in Vegas who plays, we have a friend who's in uh, the Netherlands who plays. Um, so like we start at, at like 11 in the morning, which is six in the evening for him. And we end and it's like, you know, 11 or 12 midnight for him, but it's like five o'clock for us, you know, depending upon how many breaks we take and such. Um, but, you know, we wouldn't be able to play with him normally if we didn't play online. Um, one of the downsides, though, is not only it does make it easier for people to join the game, but I've found that it also makes it easier for people to bail on the game. Um, you know, it's like, especially this summer, um, you know, Aaron said, don't worry, as, as, as summer goes away, this will this will slow down from happening but like you know we've i've got some friends of mine and they're in that sunday game uh the whole family's in that sunday game and if they're they're if they're like yeah uh let's go to the beach on sunday well that there went the game you know <laughs> you know it's just right it but it's but they don't have time to do it any other time necessarily um you know so uh, they've got other stuff that's going on. So that's, and, and summer's the only time you can do that. So it's easier. It, it probably feels easier to, uh, not attend an online game as opposed to not go over to a friend's house or not have those friends come over to your house. Um, yes, I, you I know. totally agree. So scheduling can both be much easier and much harder. So, yes. And I think it feels like there tends to be easier to accumulate and maintain initia with initia, uh, <clears throat> not initia, <laughs> not initiative, inertia, inertia, yep. <laughs> momentum with a real world game. Cause you are, you're getting together. Like once you get past those first few sessions, even with a new gaming group, it's like you're getting together, you're talking, you have your rituals that you do. Yes. Um, and it's a lot easier. And I think um, that was one of the things that I've noticed. I've seen this commentary elsewhere. One of the things that tends to really lack in online games and online meetings in general is that you don't have these little rituals, right? Mm -hmm. Where normally everybody comes into my game room, they plop down, they probably stop by Wawa beforehand, they're maybe eating their dinner, we're waiting for everybody to show up, and we just talk about the week, right? Like, oh, you wouldn't believe this thing my kid did, right? And, uh, oh, I got this new book, you want to check it out, and you hand the, the book around the table. When it's a virtual game... Everybody so shows up, everybody kind of sits down, they're immediately into Zoom meeting mode, and you know, you can force some of the chit chat, but it, there's just not as much of it. Well, there's, there's, there's a downside of that chit chat too, is, uh, in an online game. And I, I realized that this, this last Sunday was we hadn't seen each other really. We hadn't, we hadn't gamed in almost two months because of, you know, various people doing things on a Sunday. Um, and when we sat down, a couple of us did have that chit chat of like, oh, this is what happened. It's been great. Let's catch up on what happened last in the game. But that took a while. And then toward the end of it, I, I would have liked to have been more socially aware of it earlier because I think the game as a whole would have been better as well. But like, I realized that it was really only two or three of us talking out of a group of, of seven. And, you know, everybody else was kind of, they might have been listening, but not everybody was interested in what those two or th what those two or three, my being one of them, was, was saying to each other. And so 
in a personal sort of game, you know, in an in-person game, you can have two or three people talking and then those other four people could talk or do whatever um, as well, separate. Um, but when you're all on a, you know, when you're all focused on online, um, you know, you can't, you can't really, we, we talked about, it, I think before on a previous podcast of, you know, you don't have those side conversations. Um, and, and that's actually something else that, that usually will happen in an in-person role-playing game. Like even in the game is, you know, the spotlight may be on, on a couple of people, but then there may be more role-playing or, or even just a side conversation happening at the same time um, that keeps those players' interests. Whereas in an online game, you can't have that side conversation because it's one audio channel for everybody. Right, exactly. And I don't know how to get around that. You know, that I would love to be able to reintroduce that, but I don't know how to do that. Yeah, you'd, you'd need like breakout rooms and then you'd have to know when to summon them back from their breakout room. Right. I think um, to your point, I think the other thing that, that this all points to is it's, it's, very, it's very difficult to pick up on social cues uh, when you are game mastering or even or when you're a player as well. So in my group, uh, we, we, do, we actually don't do video chat. We only do audio chat as a way of conserving bandwidth. Hmm. Okay. And so it's difficult to... I can't look around the room and see if everybody's engaged. Right. I can't, you know, oh, I haven't, I haven't heard from Joe in a while. I wonder if he fell asleep, right? Like, and, and we have actually had, I think maybe two people fall asleep during the game because it's late. It's a Sunday night. Like we're right. tired. You know, you're exhausted. It hasn't been your turn in a while. Like, yep. Typically yep. people don't fall asleep at the regular gaming table, but it's hard to pick up on those cues. And I mean, that's one of the reasons why when we're doing the podcast, we're actually doing video sharing, even when we're not streaming it out on Twitch or something, yep. because that way we can pick up on each other's social cues, which makes it all a lot easier. Yep. Especially now that I don't have the camera right in front of your face. So, so I, right. I can actually pick up on your social cues, as, <laughs> unlike the first few episodes. Um, so, like, I'd love to hear people's feedback and, and their ways of keeping people like like is there a way to have those side conversations or is there a good replacement for those side conversations so that or or how do you skip between people you know like do you move the spotlight more often and how right um, so that you keep people interested um when you have you know five seven players um a smaller group it's easier uh you know like two or three people um, it's easier, but I'm not used to groups that small unless I'm playing an indie game. Like, Brindlewood Bay would probably be fine. Um, Tales from the Loop was fine with three people. That was great with three people. But if yes, you're playing D&D, like, four to me is like a minimum. Six to me would be the maximum. I don't like going over six players in a, in a, in a game normally. Um, uh, but there's other reasons for that. But, you know, because I like I like more of the role playing than the tactical side of things, but like five or six people on a call, there are people who won't be able to talk because the spotlight's on a certain group. Uh, right. so I, I would love to hear feedback on that. See if there's a way to, to add that in again. Um, yeah, I think, um, yeah, you know, it's, it's an excellent point. I would also love to hear people's tips and tricks as to like how to 
keep your players engaged. I think the worst thing, both in a real world meeting and during a, like a game master session or gaming session is where you kind of do your DM thing and you, you know, you lay out a whole bunch of world building and talking and then table setting and, and then you pause and then there's crickets. Yep. Yep. <laughs> or maybe a long lone dog barking in the background, but uh, <laughs> you know, and you're like, wait, did I drop? Am I muted? <laughs> right. Yeah. I, I, the, that is one of the benefits of the video. You know, I really like the video. Um, I, I consider it pretty essential for online gaming. Obviously you guys are able to do it without. Um, if you do use discord, discord does allow you to set the bandwidth up and down for video Ooh. so that you might want to look into that. That might, that might help uh, you to actually do use video. Um, and yet not overwhelm your bandwidths um, for your players and such. Um, but there's more than just the social talking aspect of it. There's, you know, we have some stuff written down here of like, uh, you know, battle map prep, you know. Um, I've used Roll20, but, you know, there's a lot of extra setup as opposed to throwing out a battle map with a, a whiteboard marker and just doing some doodles. Our current GM for D&D uh, basically finds maps online, but instead mm -hmm. of using Roll20, because it's got some setup stuff that are a little... Uh, that can be hard to get into, he, he knows Illustrator, so he imports it into Illustrator and effectively does the same thing Roll20 does, um, but just puts tokens and stuff on the map with Illustrator. And it works, but it's also a lot more expensive than, than Roll20. <laughs> right, right. You know, if, but if you have it, great. You know, it's, it's like, right. um, like if you have uh, access to Photoshop and are an artist, you don't need something like a campaign cartographer because you could just use Photoshop. But, you know, yeah, but there's a lot of other things you could use, you know, like Inkscape is a, um, and GIMP are two uh, programs like that. And since you're just doing screen sharing, you know, that you could just use that. But again, that's bandwidth intensive. So you, if like, Ken, do you use Roll20? Yeah, so we typically use Roll20. I do, I do think it helps some with the engagement because people can move um, their tokens around. Yeah, um, that's what I miss so about the Illustrator side of things is like I want to reach up with my mouse and move it, uh, right. move my own token. It's like, no. Oh, man, never touch another man's mini. Yeah, yeah. so I have to um, wait for the GM to do it. <laughs> but, oh, but that said, we also, for our GURPS late, so at lunchtime, like I guess we never keep things simple. Our lunchtime game, uh, we have my Roll20 Scales of Truth Dungeons and Dragons 5th Edition game, and then we alternate uh, on Thursdays with our GURPS Light game, which is the Fast and the Furious, you know, rules light, super fast game. And with that, we just cool. use Google Jamboard. So that's like, hmm. you know, the GM's just kind of sketching things out because it's much more theater of the mind mm -hmm. uh, because kind of the scale and the nature of it, right? Like, you're not going to draw out this whole bridge just so we can blow it up. Right. Because it's going to blow up. Uh, yeah. <laughs> Whereas D and D has a certain cadence to it with maps, right? I'm not like familiar with Google Jamboard, is it basically a, a multi-person virtual whiteboard? Yes. Okay. Yeah. So everybody okay. can kind of draw and, and participate in the whiteboard simultaneously. So it Got solves it. some of that, like, oh, I wanted to go here. Wait, what's this thing? Got it. 
Yeah, so we I've used Miro, which I think is very similar to that. We actually used that for the Gamma World campaign when I ran through, we ran through the, uh, I had talked about it before, the, the world building game. We went through it and, and used that to virtually whiteboard um, each of us. When, whenever we had a turn, we would virtually write on the whiteboard. Um, and then we could take a snapshot of that whiteboard and save it and then, you know, redraw it nicer for when we actually use it. Um, you know, uh, for the, for the Gamma World game, I do use the D20 and I, I went the extra step of, you know, scanning in the map and then doing all the drawing to do dynamic lighting. Mm. And, and that was cool. You know, I, I, it got the desired response from the players of like, oh, that's cool. Um, and, and it added the mystery because they're basically in a dungeon crawl and not knowing what's around the next corner because they can't see it on the map, uh, they thought was pretty cool. So, um, yeah, I, I liked Roll20. Uh, there's another virtual tabletop out there that I don't remember what it's called right now but it's older fantasy than Roll20. Fantasy Grounds, yeah. Fantasy not, grounds. I haven't yep. used it. Um, I've also heard Tabletop Simulator that that there are um, Steam Library, Steam Workshop add-ons to it that add tiles and D&D minis and uh, things like that that you can actually uh, have a virtual tabletop and each person sits at a different spot on the table, but I don't think there's any video. Um, yeah, you gotcha. still have just audio, but you could then pick up your mini in 3D and move it around. Um, <laughs> I, I did play a, an actual board game on Virtual Tabletop because I have um, the Oculus, not the Quest, the other one. Anyway, I have I have a virtual reality headset. Um, and virtual tabletop allows for virtual reality headsets. And so you can use the controllers and it looks like you have a hand and you can pick it up and move it around and, oh, and you wow. can look left and right and, and up and down and stuff. And it, it looks like you're at, um, a lawnmower man, uh, style, style <laughs> virtual reality sort of thing. Um, it's better, actually better graphics than lawnmower man, a lot better graphics, but but it's, I mean, it's not like Skyrim level graphics, um, but it's, it, it's a, it's, an, it would be interesting, especially if you could have uh, just a, a video square of each person while they were sitting around the virtual tabletop, especially if you right. had a VR set up, you could just, you could actually look left, and right and, and be able to, I think that would be kind of an interesting thing there, but that's more technology than actual gaming so but yeah so, I, we, uh, so I was going to say like I think the, there's a visceral component to gaming that we miss when we move online and I think one of the things we've liked about Roll20 is how it's dice rolling mechanic works because mm -hmm. um, there's the 3D dice that kind of drop onto the ground and so we can all kind of collectively uh, gasp and moan and groan when we roll terribly and the DM is rolling great, <laughs> right? And, and so there's that shared experience yeah. of watching the dice fall as opposed to like, not that there was anything wrong with this for Tales from the Loop where, you know, you got to hear 
vicariously me describing how terrible my die rolls were. Right, right. Yeah. <laughs> in Roll twenty, you can see how terrible my die rolls were. <laughs> yeah, I mean, yeah, that is definitely another difference. Is um, you know, do you? We've done it multiple ways, like you just said. Like in in Tales from the Loop, we physically rolled our dice locally, and then said, "This is what I rolled." Um, and that's what we do for the Sunday game. Um, and that's a lot of fun, but there's, yeah, there's also that shared gasping or, uh, in surprise or horror of like seeing the roles thrown out there on D20, um, which since we're using like illustrator for the maps, we don't really have a die roller. Um, right. The third option that we've, that I've used is when I've like, we've gamed for Cowboy Dracula, um, we have a discord bot that basically you, you put in like D 20 plus four and then, and it rolls and it just spits out text um, of what you're doing. So, and that has the shared aspect of like, of, you know, surprise and horror, but it's not quite as cool as virtual 3d dice, you know, rolling in D in roll 20, you know, it's just like, Oh, spit out a number. You know, there's right. Um, so, but it, but it's still there. It's still useful. Um, and uh, and yeah, it it doesn't take away from the game, but I still still like the physical dice feel. Um, yes, but seeing other people roll is also a good thing. So, um, if only you could have virtual dice that connected to your real dice, so like you know they could track. The, the 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 face that you rolled right and yep. so then translate into virtual dice that everyone could see yep. that would be the most but best of both worlds right so I, but I, maybe I, a little ways off from that well, well uh, <laughs> adafruit actually had a few years ago and i actually have all the parts for it i just have to really go back and assemble them uh they had a 3d printed d20 that was probably uh, about the size of your fist um sort of thing but electronics go into it with like an accelerometer and an audio card and other things like that. And what you do is when you roll it, because the accelerometer knows the orientation of things, it's calibrated. So when you roll it, you, it it's like one loser, you know, uh, <laughs> you can basically program it with any audio you want um, and it will tell you what the number is. So I, I want to put that together for the virtual game and use that. And then people would be able to hear through my microphone what I actually roll, which would be kind of cool to do. Fantastic. Not as cool as what I you think... were doing where, where it's like you roll the dice and they show up on roll 20. You know, so yes. you, have, you have the best of both worlds. That would be nice. But, you know, we're a ways off from that. Yeah. I think... Um... I think another thing that's important when you're gaming online, I do this in the real world as well, depending on which campaign I'm working on, is visuals. So mm -hmm. even if you're doing theater of the mind, I think it, it can be helpful for immersion. If you're really good at describing things, then more power to you. But occasionally it's like, no, but this is really what I'm talking about. Mm -hmm. um, and so I think we have a lot of fun with that. I think, and it's funny how it varies from game to game. We don't typically do that in Dungeons and Dragons. But when we play... Uh, the Fast and the Furious game, when I play my weird pulp game, which is set in like 1930s, we suddenly go on these research binges where we go out and say, no, this is the car I'm talking about. It was yeah. it was made in 1934. And like you go off on like this Pinterest <laughs> raid for like 
five minutes as everybody's just throwing up different photos of cool cars from the 1930s, right? And so that brings back some of that side conversation that you were just talking about. Mm-hmm. I find it very strange why that happens in some genres, but not in others. Yeah, I, I, you started talking about that, and I realized, I realized I've, I've done that too, even in in-person games. Like in a fantasy game, maybe there's more of a shared, like, shared mental image of things, you know, of like a hundred goblins you know, rushing down the hill at your at your hapless party um, before the wizard pulls out the fireball. But, you know, when I was running a superhero game, I realized, you know, I was describing things or describing the city or describing their opponents, and it didn't... I could tell that by their questions or the look in their eye that it wasn't quite hitting. And so I had started, you know started going on Google images and or and Pinterest and stuff like that and pulling like concept art of of stuff you know like so when they when they went into this giant AI driven uh corporation I had pictures of hallway just just 3D renderings of hallways that were futuristic and it's like this is where you are etc you know and they're coming around the corner and and I would use the I would use the Chromecast on the TV. So we were all in the living room and I would just be like, and this is what you see. And it would, they would pop up. It's like, Oh, and it's like, Oh, I want to go there. And they'd point to areas on the image. And since I'd already seen the image and stuff, like I would, I would craft the setting kind of around those images as well, as if it was a map. Um, even though we didn't use a physical map for like combats and stuff. Right. They knew there was a catwalk. They knew there was a glass wall. They knew there were cubicles they could hide behind. That sort of thing. Um, that that those images showed, and they would then start using those as part of uh, as part of the setting. Whereas if I didn't have those pictures, they wouldn't even. You know, it doesn't occur to people of like, "Hey, is there something I can hide behind?" Or, or I want to get up on a catwalk. They don't know that there is a catwalk. Um, and they weren't, you know, there are some games like fate games and stuff where they can put down a fate token and say there is a catwalk, but right. sometimes it's nice to just know that there's something there already, you know, and, and it, it makes it richer in people's heads. So, right. Um, and yeah, that's something that, that I've done when, uh, I've run some of the online games, you know, like we, we I would throw stuff up for. Um, for our Tales from the Loop game, you know, and sh- like, like we'd look at the map and things like that, and it would kind of get you guys into, uh, into the the headspace for it. Right, we're really riding our bikes from here to here. How far is that? Yeah, right, right. <laughs> like four miles. Wait, on a bike? That's not that far. And we're twelve. We could do that. No, no, no we can totally do we that. Yeah, totally yeah, yeah, that. Yeah, yeah. We won't even be sore at the end. Right. <laughs> Trying to. So look at our list of others. What about mechanics? You you would put some stuff in here about mechanics. Um, I think certain games are probably more suited to run virtually than in person. Like especially if you don't have time to prep a map. Like yes. I cannot imagine from the limited times that I've played it 
I cannot imagine a fourth edition D&D game ever be oh, playing God. virtually <laughs> and not have a battle map prepped. Right. You know, but like a werewolf game, uh, Tales from the Loop, uh, even D&D 5th edition, you can still do without a, a battle map if you need to. I don't know. Yeah, I think that's I think that's very true. And I think if you're going to use battle maps, then what you need to reconcile reconcile yourself to is that you need to, to spend time to either find maps, create maps, or sketch out maps. Um, yep. And so I got to say, sketching out a map with a mouse is not great. I wish I had a. I, I no longer have a <laughs> tablet that I can use to for drawing, because um, it's it's easy when you're in the real world. You just throw down the battle map and you use sketch things out really quick right so i mean you have to anticipate that time you have to anticipate the time for putting down tokens making tokens um right. i found that for my for my scales of truth game i've gotten pretty good at at quickly throwing things together so it hasn't been that big of a deal but it was a learning curve and uh, as i think i alluded to in the show notes sometimes it's a learning cliff and by that <laughs> i mean like you just run like right into the rock face right like it's not a gradual slope it's just like damn i don't know how to do this yeah so there's there's definitely a, a game master learning curve and i think some of the virtual tabletops i think all the virtual tabletops offer some degree of um automation right so in roll 20 for example you can create your character sheet if you take that time then it can become just like push button i just click a button it rolls the dice for me which was handy when we were doing uh blades in the dark oh yeah i think we had our character sheet set up it was all there i think that was great it really facilitated the gameplay especially Um, since we didn't know the rules as well as like we didn't know the rules really well and so having those character sheets pre-built and going, hey, I, you need a roll with this skill. It's like, well, how do I do that? You just click on the skill; it'll do it all for you. And, yes, and then it'll tell you if you succeeded or failed, you know, or or yes. or critically success or critical fail, that sort of thing. And that was that was really nice to do um, as well. But then we have other games, yeah, <laughs> like <laughs> Savage Worlds. So I've I played a couple of my weird pulp games online. And uh, like I, I think we've spent thirty minutes trying to figure out how to work the deck in Roll Twenty. Oh gosh! So uh, Savage Worlds uses a card-based initiative system. We love it. In the real world, it's a great visceral thing where I'm tossing. I have oversized the oversized Savage Worlds initiative cards. Nice. And it's great. You just throw them down, and it's one of those great shared game moments where you like you see the Joker come Reveal out, and it. everyone's like, oh. And when you see the two come out, they're like, oh, right. <laughs> uh, and meanwhile, in Roll Twenty, it was just like the sound of us beating our heads against the wall trying to figure out like how to use the deck yeah like i don't see the deck do you see the deck well yes i see the deck you got it too you know it's like that fun element was just completely evaporated in our frustration over trying to figure out how to use a freaking deck in roll 20 yeah like like setting up yeah setting up the uh um like the fog of war lighting effects in roll 20 is another one of those cliffs like you can figure it out, um, but you know, I had to watch some. I had to watch some YouTube videos. I had to go through their wiki. You know, it it took a couple hours for me to really figure out how to do it, and it's not super simple to do. Um, you know, you have to draw lines and enclose areas. Whereas, like if I was using Photoshop, I'd like get out the paintbrush palette and like just paint areas. And say this is you know whatever you know, and I throw it on different layers and uncover the layers or something like that. But they don't have their tooling set up 
to do that sort of thing. They don't even have a piece of tooling that can draw a circle. You have to use a, a mul multiple segments to kind of emulate a circle. Being able to, like, you have the battle map and then maybe set up a, uh, I don't know, like an alpha layer on that map or, or a separate upload that is the, the, these are the physical objects that should cast shadows layer and be able to upload that and then have Roll20 figure that out. That would be so much easier for me to do because, you know, I can, I can open up GIMP or, or Inkscape or Photoshop or Illustrator, whatever my tools are, and I know those tools. I don't have to learn a completely new tool just to do right. it. Um, so uh, there's, uh, we, we had just been talking about, uh, and I remembered it, I'll, I'll try and put it in the show notes as well. Um, there are some really good uh, generators apps out there. Um, the uh, donjon.bin.sh5e dungeon. Um, and then the dungeon, G-E-N, dot app slash dungeon. Um, both of those allow you to, uh, like, you can give it a seed, you can give it, pick a, pick a theme, um, uh, how big it is, uh, you know, uh, supposedly this one with the dungeon generator has dynamic lighting built into it. I don't, I I will have to try that out at some point. Um, but, uh, you know, and it, and it can look like cool old school stuff or new stuff. Um, it's, it's pretty neat. Um, and, and I know my, my Sunday GM, he, uh, he uses that. And then another one was, uh, watabo.itch.io one page dungeon, which is, mm -hmm. Uh, which you can like has a complete random generated set of stuff, um, and it would like cross hatching around the edges of the map and everything. So it looks professionally done, but it's com a completely random map. Um, and if you're if if that's okay with generating an encounter uh, or a dungeon for for your adventurers, um. You know, I mean, that, it's it's the equivalent of what I would do, which is like go through modules and not actually run the module, but I would certainly use the map. You know, it's the same sort of idea. Um, so I'll I'll put those links in the show notes. Um, but yeah, I that so making a battle map does not have to be hard uh, if you're willing to give up some control over the layout. And that's a very hard mental adjustment. I think that's the, that maybe the biggest thing overall is that there are a lot of mental adjust, adjustments that you need to make. There's things you need to be mindful of in terms of just how things are changing, being aware of the room and like what your friends are doing. Are people having fun? What's working and what's not working? Um, are you causing yourself frustration doing a thing because you're trying to lovingly create these maps and then manually uploading them and att attaching to dynamic lighting? Or, you know, you could just use a random generator, right? And I right. think maintaining um your own 
mindfulness and just kind of awareness of how much time you're investing in this is important because you could end up so sinking like your entire weekend into trying to do this and you walk away frustrated and that's really right. not where you need to be in your hobby or in the current pandemic situation that we're right. in. Yeah, I, I mean, putting that amount of work into it, you know, uh, you you basically just said it. This is this is a game. It's fun. It's a hobby. You, you're all, everyone in the game, game master players included, you're all supposed to be having fun. That's that's the goal. You know, no matter if you're if you're doing super tactical stuff and and um, you know, playing it out on a battle mat, or if you're doing super super intense role playing all of that stuff it's supposed to be fun and the only reason i can see for putting in a huge amount of work and like maybe being frustrated at the end of it just because it took so long and then playing the game is if you're doing it professionally <laughs> you know <laughs> yeah i can see that <laughs> if you're doing it professionally and you have an audience and you have the possibility of getting paid for it yes go ahead and put it in that time that's more for your audience enjoyment, not necessarily your enjoyment, your player's enjoyment. But at that point, you're an entertainer, not yes, not just not a not a for fun gamer. So, and I mean, at the end of the day, if you're if you're having fun, more power to you. I mean, I've spent yeah. I've lost many a weekend prepping for games, and I had fun at the end of it. And yep. as long as you're not walking away from the game frustrated, I've spent then, you know I've more spent power a whole day you. just making a dungeon. And then never played it, but I had fun making the dungeon, <laughs> you know, but exactly. that was, you know, that was back in, you know, junior high, high school, you know, I had the time and I, that was something I enjoyed back then. Now I have a lot of other presses on my time. And if I needed to spend an entire day making a dungeon and I wasn't having fun just doing that, it was, if it was for the game. Um, I would be reevaluating. It's like, how can I make this faster and get the, you know, an equivalent amount of enjoyment out of it when I actually play? That's where the kind of like the dungeon generators and stuff come into play. Like I even picked up the, the campaign cartographer humble bundle about a month ago. And I realized, man, this is a big learning curve because it's basically CAD software. And I know CAD software, so I've got a slightly less bit steep learning curve, but I still don't know that I have enough time to learn this and get what I, <laughs> and get what I want out of it. You know, it's, it's, that, it's that frustration factor that you were just talking about. So, One thing we haven't talked about, we've, we've talked about the social side of things and we've talked about, um, you know, side conversations and things like that one of the things that we that we have that you have listed here which is definitely something that i've found with online games is we need more breaks there's a, a mental reset that needs to kind of happen every 40 minutes or so um it doesn't happen in our sunday game but i think it needs to of just like hey let's get up and walk around for a minute and then sit, come back and sit down especially if your spotlight isn't moving around a lot to, to grab those players who may not have been in the spotlight and maybe their attention wandered off or they're starting to chat with their other friends online while the game is going on or something like that. Just like, Hey, let's take a break is one of those things of like, okay, well I can finish up this thing with my friend and get up, walk around. I can, 
sit down and oh now i'm actually fully back in the game um whereas in an in-person game you know people can go okay well i'm not involved in this i'm gonna walk get up and walk and go to the bathroom and then come back um or i'm gonna you know go get a, a drink or a snack or whatever and then i'll come back um and it's just kind of organic whereas people don't do that because maybe there's just i don't know I, I don't know you think that to me it seems like there's a uh a mental block of like well i'm on camera so i better not leave <laughs> um, and and if people do leave it's kind of disruptive because you don't know where they're going or how or when they're going to be back you can't you know yell into the kitchen it's like hey it's your turn you know because they may not have wireless headphones on or something like that and you don't know where they went you know right so, so a scheduled break seems to help at least for for our group i think it does i think um i think it's funny in, in the real world i'll build in breaks occasionally like if i just need a break because i'm tired or i just need to I, I need to refresh my you know i need another uh I need to get a drink. I need to grab a new rule book. I need to reset for the next scenario. So I tell you, hey, everybody, just step out of the room for a minute while I just redraw the map. And like, that's a nice, it's a nice uh, opportunity for bio breaks. If you need to call your wife or you need to, you know, check on yep. the kids or whatever, you can do that. Yep. I found online, and I think this is one of those things, like we've talked previously, like there's a, there can be a social contract to gaming and there's social etiquette. And it's a little bit different online. So in our yeah. gaming group, you know, you've got people who are making dinner while we're gaming. Um, <laughs> and so we like, well, we know that, right? Like we know that the, the GM has to finish up making dinner. And so he's going to pop away for, for five minutes and he's going to let us know he's doing this. He's not doing it in any way in a rude way, but like right. his dinner happens to overlap with the start of game time. His wife's going to be watching their kid, but he just needs to get dinner ready, right? right. Uh, I have a tendency, I would never do this in the real world, but I do my laundry on Sunday nights. <laughs> um and so you know i set a timer on my watch and i know when like after an hour i'm gonna go switch out swap out my laundry and so we do kind of end up building these accidental breaks in because once because standing in front of a monitor for a long time can be really exhausting and so yeah. i think we've kind of stumbled into these accidental breaks where because ken's doing his laundry <laughs> <laughs> but i can see where that'd be very annoying right like right. You know, oh yeah sorry guys gotta go uh move the laundry and yeah. uh and everyone's like really what I thought we were gaming. Yeah. yeah. I, and, but if it's, and I could definitely see that if you like don't coordinate those things, that that could be a problem. Like, like your friend goes and makes dinner. So it's like, okay, there's a break. Okay. Everybody comes back. Oh, time to move the laundry. You know, like five minutes right. later. Right. You know, that's, that's one of those unspoken social contracts that, that ends up, you you guys are probably aligning those those activities as part of a single break rather than a bunch of smaller breaks. Um, yes, exactly. You know, um, <laughs> I, I was going to say it's 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 like uh, I'm sure I'm, I'm sure you've experienced this uh, when you're driving cross country with kids. You have to sync up your pee breaks and your gas breaks and your food breaks because yep. if you don't. You you only go five miles five and miles. then you have okay, to stop again. Stop. Okay, five miles. Then st yeah, yep. It's the same thing with online gaming. <laughs> Pre COVID, but I was I've been working remotely for years. Uh, I am 
uh, I consider myself lucky that way. Um, but uh, wireless headsets, not on video, um, did have a guy in a group meeting go to the bathroom and not mute his mic. Um, That's really unfortunate. That has not <laughs> happened in our gaming situations, uh, and I think part of that is because it's it's on video. Um, but I know some of us have have wireless headsets, you know, so it's like, hey, let's go take a break or whatever. Could definitely happen. So don't let that happen to you. If you're gonna leave the if you're gonna leave the table, uh, either take the headset off or definitely double check, triple check that your mic is <laughs> muted. Exactly so. Exactly so. <laughs> I think that's about it. Um, for you know, we uh, as we've said earlier, uh, you know, if you've got your own tips for gaming remotely, or you know, um, do you still game in person in the time of COVID? Uh, when COVID ends, would you go back to in-person gaming? Is another another question. Like, uh, like you've got your friend out in Vegas. I've got my our friend out in the Netherlands. You know, we can't in-person game with the same game when, you know, uh, you know, regardless of COVID. Uh, so, you know, it's, I think remote gaming is probably here to stay, um, in a higher rate than it has been pre COVID. Um, and I think that's a good thing, but I also still really miss in-person gaming. Um, you know, so, uh, I think doing both is pretty darn cool. Uh, again, if you guys have any feedback for us, if you got any extra stuff uh, on online gaming, that would be really cool. Thank you for listening. We love feedback. We don't have an email right now, but we will at some point. So visit us at layerofsecrets.com. Leave us some feedback, some topic ideas, and your own, of course, your own thoughts of what we've talked about. So, uh, this has been David. And this has been Ken, and uh, we'll be talking with you next time.